You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and you're listening to episode two of our 2018 series. And thanks for all those who listened, tuned in last week. We got more than 3,000 listeners and we're very grateful and um, happy to see it um, increasingly popular. Joining me as usual is David Leach, the analyst from ITK. David, how are you? Very well, thanks, Giles. And I trust our listeners are well also. And surprising amount of news, even on a Sunday. Guess there must be a lot of state elections on. And a special hello to our special guest today. Indeed. Look, it's a pleasure to welcome Ed McManus, the CEO of Meridian Energy Australia and also of PowerShop. Ed, how are you? Great. Thanks, Giles. Thanks for having me. And hi, David. Look, um, Ed, um, we've got you on board um, this week because PowerShop announced a very interesting series of power purchase agreements, which is going to allow two wind farms and one very, very big solar farm to be developed in Victoria. But look, before we get onto that, I'm actually just going to um, look at um, some of the other things that have been happening um, around. And uh, David did mention it's been a very busy Sunday. And I just want to get to one of those things that's been announced um, today. Um, David, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, Jay Weatherall continues his love affair with Elon Musk. Um, Tesla is going to build an even bigger big battery, except this time it's not going to be located in one place. It's going to be scattered across 50,000 different households. Starting off, interestingly, with low-income housing and what they call their trust housing estate, um, and then expanding to private homes, 250 megawatts, 650 megawatt hours, $800 million. Sounds pretty impressive. Uh, it does. There's, of course, there's no cost. Um, the households will see lower bills, but the question is whether, I guess, you could have put uh, say, a wind farm and pumped hydro in and achieved the same result at even lower cost, we'll, we'll, under the scheme, we won't find out the answer to that. Of course, it's fantastic that we are going to see so much household storage in South Australia. My numbers show that there's around about 32,000 megawatt hours of electricity consumed on an average day in South Australia. So I'm not quite sure how 650 is more like 2 or 3% than, than 20% on the numbers I look at. Uh, but nevertheless, and the $800 million works out to about $15,000 a household, which is certainly 20% less than I personally was quoted here in Sydney for an upmarket system, but with a Tesla Powerwall 2 a year ago. All of those things said, I think it's a fantastic innovation and we're going to see a lot of talk about electricity uh, going into these state elections. Look, indeed, and I guess it's sort of bringing forward the future because a lot of the major players in the markets, the big network operators and Australian Energy Market Operator, for instance, and some other people have been saying that the future is distributed energy, that at one stage um, over time, half of all the electricity supply will come from um, local generation. Ed, what do you make of this? Um, is this a good thing? I think it's a very, very good thing. Um, as David said, it seems to be very innovative and, um, 
you know, I think it's it's good for a few reasons. One of those reasons is I think it will lead to more retail competition in South Australia. We sometimes get asked why Power Shop's not in South Australia, and it's a little bit odd, in fact, because we have a wind farm in South Australia called Mount Miller, which is on the Air Peninsula. So we're generating energy in South Australia. But the one of the issues for us is a, a lack of what we call capacity. So that's the, you know, generation that allows a retailer to manage risk when the price gets high and there's there's not a really what we call liquid market for capacity in south australia there aren't that many sellers of capacity so at the moment it's risky for independent retailers to go there and that's sort of what's held us back and so i think this virtual power plant has the potential to provide some of that capacity and allow potentially other independent retailers into the market, which through competition should bring prices down. So I think it's exciting for a number of reasons, but that's well, one that, that funny oh, you should mention, Funny you should mention that because the South Australia said that to implement this, um, they are actually looking for a new retailer. Would you be putting your hands up for it? Well, look, I, I just got a text uh, this afternoon uh, and, I, and I've read a little bit about it, uh, about it, excuse me, in amongst family time. So I, I don't know that much, but we'll certainly be having a look. I guess uh, Danny Price, our favourite consultant uh, in the business, uh, is talking about a 30% lower household bill. Of course, the batteries do have to be charged as well. Uh, and so it actually should mean that total electricity consumption in South Australia will go up. As Ed says, um, no matter how much renewable energy or uh, variable renewable energy you put into South Australia, we're already seeing that doesn't mean regrettably lower average prices uh, because in the end, uh, the price is set by the gas-fired generation uh, more often than not. And so we see that South Australian futures uh, are 20% higher or $20 a megawatt hour rather, higher than in the other states. Uh, we also see that increasingly there is a link, as I look at the data, between Victoria and South Australia and even Tasmania. Uh, uh, and those prices in the spot market and a little bit in the futures market are higher than in New South Wales and in Queensland. So th that's what the actual numbers show. I guess, it though, it's probably a little bit about, um, I mean, David's numbers are, are, are no doubt right, but I guess because they have not yet been able to reduce the competition in the market, the gas generators have still got the market by the short and curlies, if pardon my expression, um, and we've probably seen that in the, um, well, we see that in the wholesale market, we see that in the FCAS market, don't we? But are we starting to see that wholesale market um, or that market dominance being challenged by things like the Tesla big battery? It's, if, if you look at FCAS, uh, which is frequency control for, for people who don't know, um, the costs traditionally in South Australia have been high and they've gotten a lot higher in the last couple of years. And, and other generators pay the cost uh, for frequency control, including uh, us owing to the wind farm we have in South Australia. So our costs in the last couple of years have gone from sort of low five, five figures annually to low six figures annually. So it's a hell of a jump. And the impact of that is when new generators are thinking about coming into South Australia to challenge the incumbents, um, FCAS charges are on their minds. Now, it's a little bit early to tell, but it looks like from the preliminary data that the big battery, the big Tesla battery is having an impact on 
frequency control or FCAS costs. And so if that turns out to be the case, which bringing I think them down, bringing them down, pardon me, bringing them down, that is a very, very significant development for generation investment and generation competition in South Australia. So it's it's early days, but the early signs are very, very promising. And the South Australian government, you know, deserve a big pat on the back because as you know, and many of your listeners and readers know, they've copped a fair bit of flack about, oh, well, you know, if the power goes out, the battery can only, you know, power South, South Australia for, I forget what the number is, but it's, you know, five minutes or something. I mean, that's kind of irrelevant. The battery is there to do other things. Um, and one of those things is to bid into the frequency control market, and it looks like it has been phenomenally successful so far in doing that. Yeah, I've got no doubt, and I've said 10 times on this podcast that batteries are going to do a fantastic job at frequency control mm-hmm. uh, because their response speed is so fast, and they can probably – one megawatt of uh, battery is probably equal to five, six, seven megawatts of gas, and, and they can t- deal with over-voltage as well as under-voltage because they can charge or discharge. I think the the bigger point, Giles, just to come back to the price, which does matter, price electricity prices matter a lot. Uh, the big point is that we don't have enough competition in dispatchable generation in South Australia uh, because it's all done by a few gas guys that see the same gas price. This is where the pumped hydro and the battery uh, will help. Also, new transmission will help, but new transmission wouldn't help if it went to Victoria right now because Victoria is also a little bit short on dispatchable electricity since Hazelwood closed. Uh, increasingly, uh, we're seeing the price of electricity in Victoria being set by gas and uh, hydro, whether it's snowy or southern hydro, uh, on average in most of the half hours, and that's what's pushing the price up in Victoria. And it's not until we push the gas out in Victoria that we're going to see prices on average, wholesale prices in the whole of the southern part of the NEM uh, get back to where we need them. Well, I think, yes, as, as you made the point there, I think the key is in dispatchable generation. I think we've had lots of um, uh, renewables put into the system and that can lower um, wholesale prices at time, but it's not until they're dispatchable um, that, that actually might have an effect on competition. And I guess that's where this virtual power plant um, and who, whichever retailer ends up with it is going to be very and interesting. I think that could, be, that could be a significant factor in competing with gas and, and, and potentially if you know, the South Australian government plan is for this scheme to attract a new retailer in. As that retailer grows, they may invest themselves in further dispatchable generation to compete with what's there already. So, yeah, look, it's got, mm. it's got my vote so far as a, a potentially attractive scheme. And there's also the solar thermal power station, which is also going to be fully dispatchable when that starts up in a couple of years' time. Now, talking about growing retailers, Ed, let's get back to PowerShop then. Last week, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you made a very big announcement about a power purchase agreement. It's one of the most stunning announcements I think I've seen, both for the scope and for the size, particularly in relation to your own size. Now, just to fill in um, the listeners, you have signed a power purchase agreement for um, the Kayamul Solar Farm in Victoria. Victoria, which is going to be 200 megawatts, not all of it, but a, a sizable portion. For all of the output of the Salt Creek wind farm, which is, I think is going to be built in uh, Victoria as well, and for part of the output of the Crudine Ridge wind farm, 135 megawatts in New South Wales. Now, a couple of interesting points to come out of this. One is the prices, which you said were lower than what you had imagined. Mm-hmm. And two, it means that to actually satisfy this amount of generation which you're going to buy, you're going to have to grow your customer numbers. We're well, going to have to double them, aren't you? At least double, yeah. And um, 
that's kind of how this started. So we, we started PowerShop, um, you know, depending on when you count, about four years ago. It's four years ago this week. And at that time, we had two wind farms and, and no customers, and that started to grow. And we always said to our customers, we kind of made a promise, if you like, that we will always generate more into the grid uh, through renewables and we will sell our customers or our customers will take out of the grid. And as we've grown to the numbers we have today, which is just over 100,000, um, you know, that statement is still true. We still generate more than our customers use, but it's not as true as it used to be. It's getting tighter. And so that stimulated this decision. And so I mean, a lot of your listeners and readers are PowerShop customers and to each and every one of them, thank you, because it's by them, you know, uh, giving us a go, we've been able to go and, um, you know, go through this process and make this announcement. So, yeah, really exciting, but it is solely down to customers backing us. And can I ask, Ed, how what's your how do you expect to grow customers i mean in the old days retailers would uh, do a lot of door knocking and get customers but they weren't necessarily good customers to have i mean the sort of person that was home <laughs> when the door knocker knocked uh, wasn't always the customer that you wanted uh, yeah we, look we, we've said we, yeah, we've said we 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 would never door knock in in, in residential because uh, you know, we have a thing internally called the mum test, and that sort of is if you uh, were to devise something in work one day and go home and tell your mum or your friend or your partner about it, would they be proud of you? And I, we think door knocking people's homes fails the mum test. So it's an intrusion. I don't like it when people door knock me. And so we've never done it. And And look, most of the big retailers don't do it now anymore for uh, a bunch of compliance reasons. There's been a triple C fines over the years. A lot of dodgy practices went on and, and still go on to some extent, but not not many retailers do it anymore. And and just so we've never done it. So now our, our customers come through a range of places. We we do some digital advertising, um, some call the call center that we have. Others will refer other PowerShop customers will refer a friend and, and both parties get a $75 credit. That's pretty successful. So it's it's a mixed bag of, of a whole bunch of places. It's not one dominant source. In terms of how we'll grow from here, look, these three um, new developments, as well as the, we also made the announcement, which we'll probably come on to, we, we bought three hydropower stations in New South Wales. Um, the combination of all that, as well as our current wind farms, will allow us to manage risk more effectively, i.e. cheaper. And of course, as we mentioned, the price that we will be paying for power out of the three new developments, the two new wind farms and the one solar farm is well and truly below the forward uh, price of power in the wholesale market. So the combination of those two things will allow us as we get that power into the future to lower our prices and become more competitive. So uh, slightly long answer, but a uh, way of saying that it's it's a it's a few reasons, but we we will have to grow, and we're hoping to grow to more than double the size. And and if we do, we'll do more renewables again, and that's kind of the ongoing promise to customers. And so it's interesting. You, it sounds like you're going to use renewable energy prices as, as price will be a, a competitive advantage, and it's just a matter of uh, being able to signal that price out to to customers who are thinking of switching. I guess just before we move on to the hydro, and I am very interested in that, but I thought I'd ask, who do you see in, in this emerging retailer space as your as your main sort of competitors that you look at? Is it a Linter or is it anyone else making um, waves that you? 
look, there's, there's, there's a number of smaller retailers doing quite innovative things, as you know, but our main competitors are still the big three. Um, most of our customers come to us from the big three, and those customers who choose to leave us tend to go back to the big three. So um, that, that's, that's kind of the summary of, of, of where we're at. I think Snowy would want you to call it the big four these days, but because uh, I think they've got something like, a, uh, what is it, a million customers a million, yeah, now. No, they're, they're getting up there. I mean, just back to price, what you said. Look, a, a, a cheaper, a cheapish price, if you like, is important. You don't necessarily have to be the cheapest, but what's more important, we think, is a, is a fair price. And so um, this practice that goes on in the majority of the industry uh, around fixed or defined benefit periods where people sign up to a discount, um, and then after 12 or 24 months, that discount either disappears completely or is lessened. We call that the loyalty tax, where the, the most loyal customers uh, get the worst deal. And so with PowerShop and, and a couple of other typically smaller retailers now, we, we don't charge the loyalty tax. So if you sign up tomorrow, David, you will not get a better price than any other customer who's with us. And if you ask for a better price, we'll say, unfortunately, David, no. Um, and that is very, very important to us. Um, and that sort of price promise, if you like, around the fairer price is is something that, you know, we get reasonable feedback on and is part of our growth story. And I think customer service, too, is, is, is always a big deal um, in, in electricity. But let's come, talk a little bit about 30 megawatts of hydro. Um, I think the announcement said that it was a bit restricted in the way that you can use that. Snow is restricted as well. Uh, what can you tell us about wh why you bought the hydro and, and uh, what, how you plan to use it and what, if any, limitations there are? Sure, there? sure. It's closer to 100 megawatts. Um, and it's, Excuse no, it's me. Okay. It's okay. And it's three, three hydropower stations, one at Hume Dam, one at Berenjuk Dam um, and the other in uh, further north, New South Wales at Keep It Dam. Um, so, look, we're really, really excited to to um, acquire these assets, which should come to us um, all going well in the sale process by the end of March. The situation is that, um, I mean, obviously, the, the restrictions are you've got to have rain and snow. Um, and there have been periods um, in Australia's past where those things haven't come, obviously, as everyone knows, and that impacts any hydro generator. In the case of these three power stations, the, the water is released um, by the operator, who will be us, at the request of Water New South Wales. And Water New South Wales released the water for two reasons. One is demand from farmers, irrigators downstream, and the other is environmental flows. And the combination of those two factors means that these power stations tend to generate um, all year round, but the bulk of the generation happens from about September, October through till about April, May. Um, so it's seasonal. Now, as you both know, and most of your listeners will know, in Australia, we are tending to get higher power prices in summer months. That's where the risk for a retailer lies. And so from that point of view, um, these three hydropower stations were very attractive for us to put into a portfolio of wind and solar um, because diversity is is very very important and um, as you know pumped hydro is, is a very exciting but but conventional type hydro power stations don't come on the market for sale very often so we were pleased to uh to buy them 
Uh, yeah, and I, I heard the same sort of water restrictions when we were looking at the IPO of Snowy 2 uh, more than a decade ago. Just very quickly, within, an, within those licence restrictions, in any 24-hour period, do you, do you, can you capture daily peaks and prices no. at, at your discretion? No. no. Okay. Hey, just um, I'd like to get back. I've got a couple of questions. Um, just to get back to those wind and solar farms and those cheap prices, you did mention that they were um, below the futures price for the wholesale market. Well, I, I should hope so. I'm just wondering if you could narrow it down a bit further. Yeah, um, look, I mean, give you a sense, um, Giles. We, we started this process about six months ago. We went out to market. Um, actually, I think at the time we said about we were looking for about 300 um, gigawatt hours a year, um, about that number. And we had just shy of 60 um, organizations respond with um, above 70 projects, um, wind and solar across four states, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland. And look, as you would expect, there was a bell curve um, of where up at one end, some projects were not competitively priced. At the other end, there were some really, really attractive prices. And so we were surprised at the price of wind. Um, that had come down a bit faster than we had thought, but we were really super surprised at solar. And I think some credit must go to the federal government and ARENA here because you know we all remember the prices in the ARENA program, which, correct me if I'm wrong, David, for large solar is going back about two, two and a half years now. And, you know, I remember at that time, people were sort of predicting where solar would go and, you know, they, they got it completely wrong. Solar has gotten cheaper, much faster than I think anyone expected. Um, so really, really good news. And we were pleasantly surprised and, and took advantage of that with these new wind and solar farms. I think module price. The hell would it tra- oh, sorry. Go on, John. No, go ahead. No, no, you, no, you, no you, go. you go. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, how will that translate into lower prices then for your um, customers? Because if you're going to lower the cost of wholesale power, which I presume you're doing by this, um, that doesn't suddenly mean like a 50% cut in your bill for your customers, does it? Because that only actually makes up a, um, a part of the bill. You've still no, got that's right. No, no, of course. Of course. Retail. But I mean, we control now, you know, one part completely, which is retail and most of another part, which is wholesale. Um and yes, you're right. The, the wholesale part only makes up one component, but but um, we are at a point where businesses and individuals and families, etc., are many of them struggling to pay their bills, and we feel that because as a retailer, if you're uh, yeah. unable to pay a bill, you, you come to us. And um, you know, unfortunately, we're at a situation where many people are struggling, and so you know, you don't need to lower your prices by a whole lot to make a big difference to an individual. Um, so, so, so having seen these lower prices, what does what do you think that this means then for the future of electricity generation in Australia? Which ways? I mean, presumably just going to go more and more renewable, presumably with storage. What does this mean, or what would you like to see then as 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 the policy that would either assist well, that, you know, or at least not 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 have roadblocks well, in front I mean, of it? We've got to get to a coal-free future as fast as possible, and I think that is eminently doable with the technology we have today. And it's um, inevitable because, um, as you know, our coal fleet is aging. And despite the rhetoric from different sides of politics, we don't believe another coal fire power station will ever be built in Australia. There are a bunch of reasons for that, but, um, you know, I'm pretty confident of that statement. So I think we're absolutely getting to a, a point where we will see ever more renewables and over time, 
supplemented by gas for a period, but but over time, hopefully, what we're thinking is more batteries, uh, thermal solar, pumped hydro, those sorts of things. So exactly when gas shifts out and those other technologies become more common, that's a bit harder to tell. I think I'm sure it's going to happen, but as to when is it's a bit harder to to tell. Whereas coal going out, I see that as inevitable, has to happen, should happen. Um, and we all need it to happen, but we've got to do it in a way that keeps power bills to a minimum because at the moment we have a situation where um, bills have grown and therefore people are struggling, therefore it's on the front page of the newspaper, and therefore politicians are interested. That's not a good combination in general. Um, some, you know, the, the, we spoke about South Australia earlier. It's a very exciting development. I'm not saying. Uh, politicians and governments shouldn't be involved at all. Um, but on the whole, when an industry is front page news or on the uh, 7 p.m. news, you know, five out of seven evenings a week, it's not going to lead to good things. So this transition's going to happen. It's inevitable, but it's got to be done in a way that, that brings everyone on the journey, including those most vulnerable in society. Otherwise, we're going to have problems and it will slow down in my view. So, so Charles, it's interesting to... Uh... Uh, to see that I think we need to get on with this dispatchable renewable energy and start pushing on, whether it's Snowy 2 or whatever it is, and, and making some progress there so we can uh, start getting competition into that with the existing uh, gentailers who, who have a bit of an oligopoly. Uh, the high electricity prices, we've seen the Liberal Party in Tasmania, as you pointed out uh, to me uh, before that we started on this, talking about actually dropping out of the NEM if they win the next election. If we look at the state election betting odds, uh, frankly, uh, Labor's not favourite in either, um, uh, certainly not in South Australia or in Victoria. So we have to think about that, uh, the reality of that, in the, if the betting odds are right, and they may well not be. And I just wanted to finish by asking Ed, because time's running away, what about the commercial market? I mean, solar in particular is, seems to me to be well suited to, to the retailers of this world and business people and um, do you looking to move out of or up from? Do you have a more than residential division? We have we have uh, small to medium businesses. Um, we don't have what might be described as large, so you know, huge factories and big buildings and cities and things. We're 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 not um, really that active in that in that area. But ev- everything up from residential to restaurants, offices, pubs, cafes, that type of thing. Um, absolutely. Whether we'll get into large businesses i'm not sure you know when you're small like us you've got to be very careful to focus on a number of a small number of things and do those things well and for us that's probably residential and small business you can, you can only be a hero and every now and then well not, not so <laughs> a hero. that's that's a bit generous Giles, but we do our best but um yeah look i think um look it's exciting times because yeah snowy's 2.0 has been talked about we're investing we've heard about agl's plans to replace Liddell and you know people might disagree with what AGL are doing or Snowy 2.0 or what we've done but but no, at least things are happening investment is starting to happen and that can only be good for consumers and prices in the long term if we do it properly can you just tell me then because you dodged the uh, question about the, um, the the policy before and I understand why you no, might no, want to no, dodge no. the question about policy but uh, okay well um, the national energy guarantee that's the policy on the table yeah. at the moment we don't actually know no, much detail what do you want to see in it and, and, and what are you scared of um, well let me just give you know I mean I suppose we we and many others thought that a carbon tax would be ideal that's never going to happen the Finkel recommended the CET we got behind that 
I think the reality is in the current political environment, that's not going to happen either. By the way, there was a lot of water to go under the bridge in regard to the CET as to, you know, where the threshold would be set and whether, um, um, whether you know, gas, for example, would get a full certificate or partial certificate. So it's not as if the CET was settled, but then it disappeared. The NEG was proposed. We think the NEG can work. I've got to, people got to separate, though, the policy and the target within the policy. So I'm talking about the policy. The things we like about the policy itself, I'll come back to the emissions reduction target. So, you know, if and when reliability concerns might emerge in the future, a NEG allows those things to be managed. Um, if reliability issues occur, they, they in our renewables dominated future, they'll be where we have reliability issues for seconds and minutes and hours, not days and weeks and months. So it will suit things like pumped hydro, batteries, as we discussed earlier, um, and technologies like that. I, I can't see this policy if it's designed properly supporting coal for that reason, because coal is good to support reliability where you've got concerns for you know, months and years not the type of reliability concerns we're going to have. Um, I think, you know, the emissions reduction, the target will come on to some things we'll be watching out for that we have some concern about the discussion about carbon credits, whether retailers will be allowed to use international carbon credits. We think we need to solve these problems in Australia and drive investment in our electricity system because if we don't, that will lead to other problems. Got to make sure the reliability needs are not over-egged. Um, you know, the lights rarely go out because we have a lack of energy. And so we don't want to gold plate generation as networks were gold plated over the last 10 years and, and drive prices even higher. And obviously then the last thing is about is about ensuring the scheme is designed in such a way that it doesn't shut out smaller newer entrant retailers, which is where typically the innovation is coming from. So that's the policy. We, you know, there are lots of gnarly things that we need to work out. And as, as you said, Giles, we don't know fully, we don't know a lot actually at all. Separate then. Put, I, I don't think it's going to look anything like it's been looking so far. So, <laughs> well, well, separate then is the target, the emissions reduction target. That's an entirely separate thing. And in some ways, what we like about the NEG is that that target can be changed because if the NEG comes in and we have a different federal government, they may choose to increase the emissions reduction target, or indeed, as we track towards our Paris timeline and targets, it will have to be increased if we're going to get there. So having a scheme where the target can change in the future would seem to me to make some sense given the political environment we're in. And you know, every day that we delay having a stable policy is another day that we're not getting the investment we could be getting. And that's an, and I know obviously we've chosen to, you know, get out ahead of this and make our investment decision. But Others may not choose, right? So every day that we don't have stable policy is a day power prices are staying higher than they should be. And that's a day that we have customers talking to us about how they have to make a decision between paying an electricity bill and putting food on the table. And it's completely unacceptable. And that's why as much as we, there are things in the neg that we don't like, we want to work to try and you know design, help design the policy constructively so that it, it can drive Lower, as low emissions as we can possibly do but look it look it's not ideal but you know like many decisions unfortunately in this country we're in a situation where the ideal just may not happen so but i'm optimistic it's like the, like the rolling stone said you can't always get what you what you want you just might get what you need or maybe they put it the other way around i don't know but i, I am concerned here that we're actually going to run out of time uh 
Giles, I think. Uh, well, that's right. Now, look, I, I, I did want to wrap it up then. David, is there anything um, special that um, you want to mention that's coming up in the week ahead or the weeks ahead? Uh, not that I can think of. of the, it's reporting season. So we're going to see, uh, you know, companies like Meridian, like AGL, like Origin uh, and a whole bunch of others. So that's what I think I'll be not, keeping an eye on. Not just reporting season, but also state election season, um, one in Tasmania um, um, in about four weeks and one in South Australia in six weeks, as you mentioned. Look, Ed, thank you very much for joining us. I really did appreciate that. That was um, fantastic insight into what you guys are up to and um, some really interesting commentary about sort of storage and Tesla and um, wind, solar, consumers, NEG and, um, and government. Yeah, thanks, thanks thank you, Giles. Thanks, David. <laughs> and thanks again to the listeners who have supported us. And please keep doing so and we'll do more renewables in the future. And a, w- a word for our sponsors too, I suppose, Giles. Just for here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I was. I was trying to fit that in beforehand, but I had to close the window halfway through because the rain was coming through. So, um, thanks to Solaray Energy and What Watches, um, who are still sponsoring us, and uh, we thank you for their support. And we do thank um, all our listeners. And um, the growth in numbers has been very gratifying. Um, David, thanks for joining us today, and um, we'll be back same time next week with a new guest. Thank you. Bye bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.